Hi, my name is Jill, and I'm a deacon here at Mercy View. We're going to be reading from Acts 28, 17 to 24, and then 30 to 31. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jill. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting with us tonight, just honored that you have joined us in worship. Pray this uh, time so far has been an encouragement to you. I'd love to meet you after the gathering if, if we didn't meet before. Met a few visitors before we got going here. When I was a kid, uh, a child of the 80s, I'm very proud of that, um, one of my favorite series of books were the Choose Your Adventure series books. Now, you don't have to be a child of the 80s to know what I'm talking about, but that's like when they came out. And if you know uh, the series, you know uh, about the, the, the format of the book. It was really unique. You could um, start reading this book and, and the reader would assume the role of the protagonist in the story. And every few pages, you had an opportunity to make choices about where you were going to go next. You got to determine the main character's actions and ultimately the outcome of the entire plot of the whole story. You could be a, a private investigator, you could be a mountain climber in another story, a, a race car driver in another, my favorite, a spy. And uh, the stories were like formatted so that after a few pages of reading, you, the reader, would face two or three options and you would take a, a cho make a choice and that would lead you to another set of options and ultimately until you arrived at one of the mini stories endings. I absolutely love the Choose Your Adventure book stories. But what was it about the books that captivated me? Well, I think underneath it all was the fact that I was caught up in something bigger than myself that I got to play a part in. I didn't know how the story would end, but I knew that I got to be a part of how the story would end. It was a mysterious journey. It was an exciting journey, a fulfilling journey. And that journey is not unlike the story, if you're a Christian here tonight, 
that you are caught up in as well. That story that God is writing in our time is mysterious, it's exciting, it's fulfilling, but there is one big difference between that story and the Choose Your Adventure book series. We do know how the story ends. Yet, God invites us into joining him in this story to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the question for us tonight is this. Have we chosen that adventure? Or have we chosen something else or many other things that we think are going to be adventurous and in the end they leave us empty? What is the adventure that God is calling us into and have you chosen it? Last week, uh, we began our last series here at Memorial Baptist Church before we return, as your Trey mentioned earlier, to Wilson Teaching and Learning Academy. Uh, the series is called, as you can see on the screens, Go and Tell. And as we said last week, as we thought about our move to Wilson, we were actually planning on a completely different series before we moved there, and, and we just began to have a growing conviction that it's important for us to wrestle together with one of the things that the Lord is asking of us in our move. We believe that God is calling us into his great mission in the world, and in particular, he's placing us back in a strategic spot in our city where he intends for us to live out faithfully this mission. Uh, just today, I was having lunch with someone here from Mercy View at the Mother Road Market. You guys know where the Mother Road Market is, right? On uh, 11th, I believe, right there at uh, Lewis. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was lunchtime. The place was packed. It was buzzing. There were people everywhere, all ages, all, I mean, just every stage of life, everything that you could think of. I got so pumped thinking about our move back to Wilson, sitting there having lunch today with my friend. And I thought about this series as I was watching this stuff happen around me here in a place in our city where the Lord has his people. Like there are people that are, that were in Mother Road Market, I believe today, that aren't yet his, that will become his because of churches like Mercy View, not just us, but churches like us as well, living faithfully out this mission that he has given us. So as we continue to pursue this idea of, of going and telling, living out missionally in all of life. Tonight, I want to invite you to see three things as we zero in on particular to one aspect of that mission. It's something called evangelism. And as we do that tonight, I want you to see three things. First, our posture in evangelism should be one of welcome. Our posture in evangelism should be one of welcome. Second, the content of our evangelism is the full story of God in Jesus. The full story, excuse me, the content of our evangelism is the full story of God in and through Jesus. And thirdly, our call within evangelism is one of courage. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Acts chapter 28, you'll notice that, that this is the last chapter in the book of Acts, and that's very important for our time tonight. Let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, 
as we enter in this story tonight, Paul finds himself in Rome. And most believe that this was Paul's fourth time to be in Rome. Um, th- this journey to Rome for Paul, though, in, in Acts 28, as we see the story unfold, uh, is very different than Paul's earlier travels there. Before, when Paul came to Rome, he was a free man. But this time, as he comes to Rome a fourth time, he is a prisoner. Paul had become uh, involved in a very serious conflict in Jerusalem at the very end of his third missionary journey. And during that little conflict, this, this like riot erupted, a Roman officer arrests Paul to save his life but to, to do that, he, he had to take him to safety as well. It's the only way that, that he could have saved Paul's life. So without any other options, and you saw this in the scripture read, Paul invokes his right as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to like the big dog, like Caesar himself. And so he stands before Caesar and appeals to him. And you heard that read as well in verses 17 through 19. Now, Caesar ends up arranging for Paul to be taken by ship to Rome under escort as a prisoner on charges of sedition and causing unrest. But here's what's interesting. Once he gets to Rome, Paul is allowed to live under house arrest. In other words, he was able to to move about somewhat freely within a certain area but unfortunately, even at the end of this, this time, he was sentenced, and many believe that he was beheaded after all of that. Now, as we move into our passage today, you might think Paul, who is at the very end, really, of his ministry life, he's under house arrest, would simply, like, retreat and leave, lead a quiet life, not put himself back in the limelight that got him in trouble in the first place, but let's see what Paul occupies himself with uh, under house arrest here in our passage. Look with me at verse 23. Luke gives us a snapshot of what Paul did while he was there. Here's what it says. From morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now, who is the them in that verse? If you go back to verse 17, you will see who Paul is talking to. It is the local leaders of the Jews in that city of Rome. These men were probably the elders of the many synagogues in Rome. There are a lot of synagogues too, by the way, at this point. So Paul is talking to a significant number of people here. Now, why is that significant for our story tonight? Well, you may remember when we recently preached through the book of Romans, And in the book of Romans, Paul spends a considerable amount of time talking to Jewish people. And that's really confusing and kind of weird for us as as evangelicals, really, from the line of the Gentiles. But uh, Paul has an intent as he does that in the book of Romans. We talked about that a lot during our our series. And, And here was Paul's point in doing that in Romans. Here's what he's doing here to these men, these synagogue leaders in the city of Rome. He is trying to convince them that the righteousness of God is not something that you earn through the keeping of the law, but rather it's through the receiving of the gift of righteousness, through repentance and faith, 
in the righteousness of Jesus. Paul wanted the Jewish people, he wanted the Jewish leaders to see that their salvation is not found in their law keeping, but it's found in the perfect law keeper, Jesus. So it's no surprise that the content of this little, this little, uh, microcosm of Paul's message to the elders of the Jewish synagogues in Rome was that message. He did not want them to miss, again, the message of the kingdom of the gospel. So here in his pleading with them, with the Jewish leaders, we really see the answer that we just asked, which was what takes up Paul's attention in prison? What is the activity that Paul is engaged in under house arrest? And again, he gives us this this little uh, microcosm in verses 17 through 28. And here's what Luke, the writer of Acts, is trying to tell us about our boy Paul here. Look, Look there at verses 17 through 28. Paul did not slink backwards into a kind of silent or or quiet Christianity under house arrest. Yes, Paul had endured much suffering. He had endured a lot of persecution, injustice. I mean, that's what he's in prison for right now. He's he's in prison for an unjust crime. And if, if he was like you and I, we would have been tempted to just retreat at that moment, right? Not only that, Paul had accomplished a ton for the kingdom at this point. This is the end of his ministry life end of his life. But instead, even under house arrest, in prison, he doubles down and continues to pour himself out for the sake of the kingdom like a drink offering. And he does this proclaiming of the gospel, I believe what we see here, is by living out the call of, listen, evangelism. Sharing the gospel with whomever came into his presence. So we come to the end of Acts, and the Apostle Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wants to show us, I believe, what a lifelong commitment to evangelism looks like. We are getting an opportunity to look in on the life of the master evangelist, Paul, and get a glimpse into the call that you and I have to also live out a call to evangelism for a lifetime. So look with me, if you would, at the middle of verse 30. As Paul spent two years under house arrest, he continued to do this work of of evangelizing and proclaiming the gospel. And it says first that Paul welcomed all who came to him. Now, as we think about the idea of evangelism, again, sharing the gospel with our words to those around us who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, we, we, we may not Notice this, but we shouldn't overlook this piece of Paul's posture in evangelism, the posture of welcome. So what does that mean? Well, in much the same way as we looked last week in Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, Paul is showing us an important aspect of of mission, of, of evangelism, as we engage with others. Last week, Jesus showed dignity to Zacchaeus, who was an often overlooked and marginalized member of society by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home. We said last week that that would have been scandalous at the time. But Jesus saw through to the heart of Zacchaeus, called him to repent of his sin, and Zacchaeus places his faith and trust in Jesus, and we see the fruit of his repentance as he pays back the, the, the money that he owes to all the people that he stole from. 
Now here, under house arrest, Paul was able to receive visitors. It says here in our passage that he shared the gospel with all those who came to him. That would have included both Jews and Gentiles. And again, Paul could have been at this moment in his life, after all that he had done for the kingdom, all the persecution and injustice that he had experienced, just said, I'm done. He could have been insular and, and purposely cut himself off from the, the wider culture, but he, he chose to welcome those into his presence for a very specific purpose, the sharing of the gospel. And this is the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Our posture, like Paul, in evangelism should be one of welcome. I love how Romans 15, 7 says it. Listen to this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The word welcome here in this passage in Romans is not just, though it's no less than this, but it's, it's not just a sociological statement. It's also a theological one as well. The welcome here means that the welcomer has welcomed God's grace into their life and they want to give that same grace away to others as they welcome people to that grace. The hand of welcome is to extend God's hand, right? And so the question that is probably uh, in front of us, if not, you will experience this in the work of evangelism. Is that costly? Is it discomforting? Is it at time confusing? You may remember my story last week of, uh, of, of, of a gentleman we'll call Tom, who, who, who I engaged with at, at a local coffee shop and kept saying no to the meetings after saying he wanted to meet with me. And now it's super awkward because we see each other all the time at the coffee shop. Yeah, it's confusing and awkward sometimes. That's the way that welcome works. Welcome isn't necessarily concerned with the outcome, but it is a deeply divine and deeply human thing that we do in evangelism for others. It's an act of generosity rooted in the character of God. Now, it must be said that because of the times that we live in, the posture of welcome, even in evangelism, doesn't equal affirmation. Again, like our story last week about Zacchaeus, the posture of Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus, but in the repentance of Zacchaeus, we see that he understood that in order to receive grace, he had to confess his sin. Grace isn't grace without an admission or a confession of sin. Grace has no context without that. Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus, but he did not affirm his sin. But in Zacchaeus's response to that gospel message, he repented. And we see that he both confessed and received Jesus as his personal savior, and that's the pattern. That's always the pattern. And the same is true for Paul here, and it's true for us. When we welcome others, we create an environment for all of that to happen. Yes, welcome, confronting sin, repentance, faith, all of that. It's possible in part because 
of the posture of welcome that you and I are to have in evangelism. Our posture in, in evangelism should be one of welcome. Now look with me if you would at verse 31. It says that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we just said that the posture of our evangelism should be one of welcome. Here we see the second thing that I want to invite you to see this evening, and it is this. The content of our evangelism is the full story of God in Jesus. The content of our evangelism is the full story of God in Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, the simplest way I think I can say tonight is you and I have not evangelized unless we have told someone else that full gospel story. So what is that story? Well, we see it begin in Genesis 1 and 2. As God speaks into existence the creation of the world. And if you remember that story, uh, you know that God said it was good. And then God creates man and woman in his image and likeness. And he said that that was very good. And this is a picture of, of God's great goodness and provision. This is a part of the story that provides you and I with a purpose. This is how God intended things to be. If you skip this part of the gospel story, you skip the way that God began his story and his intent for the world and for mankind. That, that's the part of the gospel story we could call creation. Then in Genesis 3, we witness something that we call the fall. Our first parents distrusted God and his word and desired to be their own gods. And because of this, sin enters the world through our first parents and as you and I are born into the world, we are in, born with this, this inherited sin nature. We would call that part of the gospel story fall. Now Genesis 3, interestingly, also provides us with a portrait of God's grace. It is a manifestation of God's protection that Adam and Eve are, are covered with, with loincloths and then sent out of the garden. But then in Genesis 3.15... We see the first glimpse of God's rescue plan. From that point forward, we see God work that rescue plan out as he promised a child that is, is, is going to one day vanquish our great enemy. And so from that point forward, like Genesis 4 through Revelation 20, we witness the story of God's pursuit of us to provide a way of salvation over and over and over again. We witness God's amazing grace, his, his patience, his love in demonstrating that dogged pursuit that reaches its climax in Jesus who lives the life that you and I couldn't live and dies the death that you and I should have died and is raised from the dead on the third day, defeating sin, the enemy, and death. And the Bible says that if we place our faith and trust in that reality, of what Jesus has done for us, he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Redemption. Creation, fall, and now the third part of our story, redemption. But then, finally, Revelation 21 and 22 paints us a picture of total restoration. There is this beautiful ending to the biblical narrative that shows how Every aspect of creation 
that was revealed in the book of Genesis will one day be brought back into perfect harmony with God and with one another. This gives us hope now as we look to the future. The direction of history is toward that new creation. The goal and end of God's redeeming promise is that picture. This present order that you and I are in is the old, uh, is the old creation in Adam. But Christ one day will bring a new creation. Restoration is the fourth act in our story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is the content of our evangelism, ultimately. The content of our evangelism is the that full story of God in Jesus and how a person then responds to that story. Now look with me at the end of verse 31. This is the last part of the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Acts. And here's how the writer Luke says that Paul evangelized. Like this is the how. Look there, it says that Paul proclaimed the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, let me just ask this as a question. Is that a good description of your evangelism? If you would say, Brad, I really struggle in my evangelism, but um, um, I, I try to do it, and, and yes, at times I feel bold, I lack boldness, and, and I, I am doing it with hindrance. It just reminds me of, uh, of something I heard someone say, um, famous preacher, he said, um, I think it was Spurgeon, like, I like my version of evangelism that I'm doing than the, the one that you're not, right? And so if you struggle with evangelism, I am so proud of you that you could even say, yeah, I struggle. I, 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 I'm hindered and I, I'm not as bold as I, I should be. The, the real conviction here is, do, do we have... Do some of us here tonight, would we say, I don't experience this because I'm not actually evangelizing anyone? We just said that our posture in evangelism should be one of welcome. We said that the content of our evangelism is the full story of God and Jesus. But this brings me to the, the last thing I want to invite you to see in the evangelism of Paul this evening, and it's this. Our call within evangelism is one of courage. It's one of courage. Now, I mean a few things by that. First, and we've already said this, evangelism is verbal proclamation. We cannot say that we have evangelized if we have not used words. The idea that the gospel is something we do rather than something we tell is more common among Christians than you might expect. But to, to verbalize the gospel with someone takes courage. But second, evangelism will always include, we just said this, the full gospel story. In other words, our conversations and proclamations must include that specific content or else we cannot call it evangelism. Here's what I mean. We may talk to family or, or friends or coworkers about the Bible or religion or important social issues, but until we've told them about Jesus' death and resurrection for their sin, we have not evangelized. If we skip the, the, the message that, that we are all affected by our first parents' sin, you and I are also sinners, we have not evangelized. In order to tell the full gospel story, to bring people and invite people in, to welcome them in to this story, it takes courage. 
But lastly, in order to say that we've shared the gospel, we must be able to say that we have told people how to receive it. How to receive the riches that are promised to them in the gospel. Friends, without inviting a person to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus, we haven't given them everything that they need. In fact, we actually haven't addressed their most important need, their deepest need, and it's their spiritual need. What use is the best news in the universe if a person doesn't know how to receive it? Now, there may be times when you are faithfully presenting the whole gospel to someone, and because of the circumstances surrounding that conversation, they may not respond in the moment, right? They may say, hey, can we talk again? Or maybe you never see them again, but you planted a seed that maybe the Lord will continue to water, and one day there'll be a harvest but on the whole, the, 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 the idea of faithful evangelism will include a call to repent and believe. That's what Jesus did last week with Zacchaeus. That's what Paul is, is doing here at the end of his life. That's what you and I are called to do in our evangelism. But yes, it takes courage. The call within evangelism is one of courage. Now... When we start talking about this particular aspect of God's mission that he calls us to, um, in the church especially, like at best it brings conviction. I mean, I'm feeling that. I'm preaching to myself tonight, by the way. And at worst it brings guilt. A professor and author Don Whitney says it this way, nothing causes an eye-dropping foot-shuffling anxiety more quickly among a group of Christians than talking about our responsibility to evangelism. I know many believers who feel confident that they are obeying the Lord when it comes to their intake of Scripture or to giving or to serving, but I don't know a single Christian who would boldly say, I am as evangelistic as I should be. That's true, right? Guess what? The Paul of our passage today once struggled with that too. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said that when he began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the Corinthians, he did it in weakness and in fear and much trembling. But what did Paul say in the same breath in that passage? Do you know? He said, but I decided to know nothing among you except... Jesus Christ and him crucified when I was among you. See, Paul looked to something in his evangelism that helped him in the midst of his fear and trembling and proclaiming the gospel to others, and it was the cross. He resolved to know Jesus and the cross of Jesus, to experience it, to bring it into his soul, and it changed him. So much so that at the end of his life, he's continuing to pour himself out like a drink offering, sharing the gospel with whomever were coming to him in prison. It's what gave him boldness over a lifetime in this part of mission that we call evangelism. Now, you might say, what does the cross have to do with evangelism? Well, here... I believe it is. The cross is the only spot in any religion 
that shows us a God who is so utterly and completely and relentlessly and absolutely holy that he had to pour out his wrath and justice on evil and sin. At the very same time, the cross shows us a God who is so absolutely, completely, utterly, relentlessly, perfectly loving that he'd do it on his own son rather than lose you. He placed that justice and that wrath on his son instead of you. See, if you don't have a cross in your evangelism, you will either have a God who's very demanding, like live up to this kind of evangelism or you're, you're in trouble, or you'll have a God who is so completely accepting, he will say, don't worry about evangelism, I'll, I'll take care of it. That's either a moralistic or a relativistic view of God in evangelism. And those views have never changed anybody. Friends, it's only the cross. It's only the gospel that Jesus had to die because God is that holy. And Jesus had to die because God is that loving. And with that, you will get that into your soul. It changes everything in your evangelism. The Bible says that this gospel that we're experiencing and coming back to over and over is what turns you into the kind of person like Paul who is filled with a holy jealousy and loving zeal. Somebody who thinks so highly of God and so highly of people that he wants them in each other's arms. And you see this in Acts 17 with Paul. He is outraged at the idolatry but brokenhearted by it. And so he proclaims the gospel because he wants people to see and to know and love Jesus. Friends, that cross in evangelism is what compels us out in evangelism. That's what will compel you out. It is and only ever is the gospel. It always and always and always is the gospel. I want to end here and then I'm going to bring up a friend to just talk a little bit more about this, but, but what do we really find here at the end of the, the book of Acts? Well, one thing you could say is that the, the story is unfinished. It appears, by the way, that that was Luke's intention with how he, he wrote it. He didn't tell us about the end of Paul's life, like the very end. He ended the entire book of Acts as if to say, friends, this is only the beginning. In other words, choose this adventure. I'm wearing a, a shirt tonight that represents the church planning network that we're a part of. And, and it's kind of, a, 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 at times, it's, it's interesting to talk to people about it because they're like, Acts 29, can you help me understand that? Because that's not in the Bible, right? And that is right. Acts 29 is not in the Bible. But the, the spirit of the name of the church planning network that we're a part of is exactly what Luke is trying to get us to see here tonight. You and I are called to live out an Acts 29 life, to choose that adventure, to be a part of that mission. And our calling is to look for people in the places we live, work, and play where the Holy Spirit is at work and ask the Spirit to give us courage to move towards them and to welcome them and then share with them the beauty of the gospel. So let's choose that adventure. It is no small thing to be a part of this mission. 
But it is too small a thing for this mission and this gospel to be just about you or us. So let's ask and, and expect our king to accomplish his mission and fulfill his promises and to use us in that process to see many come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. I want to invite uh, my friend uh, Jacob uh, to come up just for a moment. Yeah, Trey, if you could give him that mic. Um, Jacob is a good friend. He's a, a pastoral resident and a part of our mission team here. And um, uh, You know, you need to have people like Jacob in your life when you're talking about evangelism because um, you are reminded of, of, of how much more, you know, room you have to grow. And I'm convicted every time I talk to Jacob about the, the way that the Lord is using him and evangelism in his life. And so just made sense just for a moment instead of listening to me anymore for you to hear from someone who is just a partner here. I mean, I'm a partner here too, but just like, you know, just someone like you. Um, there's nothing, I mean, I love you, Jacob. There's nothing special about Jacob. I mean, he's, he's a good guy and I love him, but no, there's nothing special about any of us. The only thing that's special about us is what God is doing in and through us. But God has been doing and is doing an amazing work through Jacob in this area of evangelism. And so I, I wanted to have you come up, Jacob, just here. Let's move into the light. Um, it's kind of a biblical thing, moving yeah. to light, yeah. Um, and, and, and I just want to, as we think about what we talked about tonight, um, ask you a few questions. Can, can you think of a, 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 a time in, in your work in evangelism where... Mm -hmm you had to really wrestle with what does it look like for me to welcome someone, uh, you know, into this story of God? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think a helpful verse is Second Thessalonians 2.8, where Paul is saying, so being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready not only to share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. And that gives the idea of viewing evangelism not simply as a means to an end, as this is our goal for, for people just to share the gospel and then leave, but it's actually to invest our lives with other people. And a, a really practical way of how that, that played out is, is putting myself in situations where, where I'm going to have to be placing myself around other people. I think of one example. Um, about a year ago, I was on campus at the University of Tulsa just hanging out and ended up having lunch next to this guy who had, who had been from who had just moved here from the country of Kuwait um, and didn't really know anyone, had only been in the United States for a couple of weeks. And we got to talking and he, he was just really looking for, for friendship and um, he didn't know that many people. So I was able to just spend some time with him. We ended up getting coffee later that week, even getting coffee a couple more times after that. I got to hear a lot of his story just coming from like a Muslim context, being in a Muslim country and got to share um, about who I worship and why I worship. And we got to go back and forth just debating these different things. And that happened because I was placing myself in a situation where I would be around people so that I could have an opportunity to share about who Jesus was. Yeah, that's good. What I hear you saying, Jacob, is, is part of the, 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 the way that we engage in worship is not to necessarily expect people to come to us, but to go, right? That's the, the name of the series, to go. And, and in the going, the Lord provides opportunities for us then to welcome people into this, this time. Okay, so the second thing we talked about tonight was the importance of as we are engaging in evangelism to, to sharing the, the full story of, of, uh, of God in, in that, that work that we do. Um, 
we used one of those frameworks tonight, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. There are a lot of different ways to do it, different tools. And, and, and I know one of the things that you enjoy uh, doing is just asking really good questions, right? But can you help us see how, like, how important that idea of, of, of really being able to share that full story of the gospel with people, how that plays itself out in, in the evangelism that you've done? Sure. Yeah. So First Peter 3 talks... Peter encouraging us to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Yeah. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was um, at this, this conference leading a small group discussion with, with a couple guys, and we were just talking about um, Jesus, why, why we follow him. And we were going around and talking through these things, and there's this one individual who had a really peculiar answer about why he, he chose to follow Jesus. And it was like, well, I, I really don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to follow Jesus. And, and that, that kind of caught my attention because, yes, when we follow Jesus, we get to avoid hell. But it's so much more than that. And so when, when that small group time ended, I was able to pull him aside and, and just start to process through what, what he meant by that. I, and, and it turns out that, that he, he really didn't know um, who what it meant to actually follow Jesus. He thought it was just this cosmic transaction that you pray a prayer, you get to avoid hell. But I was able to walk through him that it's not simply that we get to avoid hell. Yes, we do, but we get more than that. We get fellowship with our creator. We get unity with, with his body. He, he gets to pardon us from the punishment of sin so that we are saved towards something, not saved from something. And we were able to walk through that. I, I don't know what happened. It was this this conference thing, but when... But I can have confidence knowing that when the Word of God goes forth, it accomplishes the purpose for which God intended. And so that he, he was able to hear the full gospel message. And I trust that the Lord is still working through that in his life. That's awesome. Uh, something I heard you just say is so important. I mentioned it when, in the sermon, but just sometimes what God calls us to is to be faithful in this moment. Um, and maybe one of the ways we could say what you did was you helped fill out that more fuller gospel story for this young man. That's, that's part of the work of evangelism. That's beautiful. All right, last, this um, courage. Um, you, I think, talked about this actually last week as you were talking about the, the emphasis on evangelism. We're going to be working on that in our gospel communities. Um, but courage is required, but it's, it's, it's uh, one of those things that typically when people ask, or you're asking them about their evangelism, say, I, I have a lot of fear, right? Fear is the antithesis of courage. So how do you get courage to evangelize? What does that look like for you? Yeah, um, I, th I think it's really providential that, that I'm up here um, talking about this because it, as I was reading through scripture this week, th this concept kept playing itself out. We were, Taylor and I were reading through, through Acts chapter 9 where it's talking about the conversion of Saul and how it was the most unlikely person who you would ever think to come to faith. He's on his way to Damascus to imprison followers of Jesus, but he, he comes and experiences salvation. And what that, that demonstrates for us is that the Lord is completely sovereign in the work of salvation, that, that even the most unlikely of sinners can still come to faith in Jesus. Secondarily, we, I was also reading through Second Timothy where Paul is encouraging Timothy um, to, to do the work of an evangelist, right? The Lord, yes, is sovereign in salvation, but he uses us as his church to go and share the actual content of the gospel. It's the Lord's work in salvation and that he can even call the most unlikely of sinners to faith, but he gets to use us. And that's a great joy and privilege that we can trust 
God is working through those means. We just have to be be obedient and faithful, knowing that God will provide in those ways. That's good. Yeah, maybe part of our problem in evangelism is we have too high of a view of ourselves. We think we have more, you know, to, 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 uh, to, that's going to impact that ultimate decision. But what you just said is so true, such a great reminder, a great place for us to end. God is sovereign in evangelism. That should free us up, Amen. right? Give us courage. Let's pray. Yep.